Good evening, everyone. <laughs> We're going to be in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John tonight. In the midst of uh, the 10th chapter, Jesus is going to show us what a true shepherd looks like. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He's going to speak of the ability of the sheep to hear and to know his voice and to follow him. And that's God's desire for each of us. That he loves us. And as a loving father, as hard as that we would hear his voice. The psalmist writes this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so in the midst of the psalm, we see that it's God's desire to lead us, that he's the shepherd. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, they are the children of God. And so to be led by God. And so I think all of us would agree in order to be led by God, we need to hear God's voice. Yet many times in our lives it seems we cannot. You know, what do you do in the midst of that when you cannot hear God's voice? When you cannot hear Him? David writes these words in Psalm 130, or in Psalm 28 first, To you I will cry, O Lord my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Psalm 130, David, again speaking. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And so we cry out to God and we say in the midst of the things that are going on in our lives. God, I need to hear from you. God, I don't know what to do in the midst of this situation. I must hear from you, Father. And the question I ask tonight is, have any of you been there? In that position where you're not hearing and you're crying out to God as David did in the midst of the Psalms. Or maybe even tonight, are you there tonight? And so as we move through the scriptures in John chapter 10, we're going to see that there are hindrances to hearing from God. And what the Word of God says, it will help us to hear His voice. And that we must hear from God. And we are living in perilous times. I believe we're in the last days. And so it is paramount that the church hear what the Spirit of God is saying today and tonight. That is, Jesus speaking in Revelation says that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to this part of his church tonight. And so John chapter 10 verses 1 through 16 and verse 27 also I'll read and then we'll pray. John chapter 10. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. 
But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger's, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, in other words, one that is hired, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd and now move down to verse 27 my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me Father we thankful for the many promises in the midst of these scriptures God Thank you, Lord, that you are a good shepherd, that you are our protector, Lord. You're the one that is the banner that flies over us in this flock here, God. You're the one that feeds us, Lord. You're the one that guards us from every evil, Lord. And we thank you for the promise that your word says that we'll hear your voice, Lord. We, that's our prayer tonight, that we're going to hear your voice in the midst of the scriptures, Lord. Not the voice of a mere man, but the voice of God. The presence of the Almighty here. That we would have in our hearts. And that we would hear with our ears and our hearts what you have to say to this part of your church tonight, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you laid our life, your life down for us. That you are the good shepherd. Help us, Lord, to hear you tonight. In the midst of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 10. Jesus establishes who the true shepherd is and what it means to be a shepherd. Both Micah and Matthew record this verse. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. He's a shepherd that's moved with compassion for his people, and it's the Greek word poimane. 
And the definition of it is overseer, a pastor, in a sense. But this pastor is God over the sheep and the flock that he has, and he's called them by name. And so the definition of that, if you were to look it up, is a shepherd in the Near East was responsible for watching out for enemies, trying to attack the sheep, defending the sheep, healing the wounded and sick sheep, finding and saving lost or trapped sheep, loving them and earning their trust. And so Jesus is that shepherd for us. He's the one who guards against the enemy. On the night he was betrayed, you see that Jesus would stand out front of the flock as they come to get him with the clubs and with the, the uh, torches lit. And in the scripture says in John 18, it says, If you seek me, let these go their way. And so he stood in front of his sheep. That the same might be fulfilled which he spoke. That all that you've given me, I have lost none. He was the banner. He was the banner that flew in the same banner that flew over Moses in Exodus chapter 17. When they put down the Amalekites. When Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses as those of the Amalekites came to besiege Israel. And, and so God said, I'll race the memory of Amalek. I will be your banner. And, and so Moses declared that and set up an altar in the midst of that and said that this is the Lord, our banner, Yahweh Nisi. And so to the nights that I, I'm home with my children, that's one of the things that I pray over them. Lord, you're their banner. You're the one that protects them, Lord. You're the one that stands guard over them, Lord. Continue, Lord, to do that work. And so he's our shepherd. He healed the sick. He would leave the 99 to get the lost one. And lastly, he would lay his life down for all of us. That we would have a chance or a way to come to him to be reconciled unto God. He's the true shepherd, the bishop of our souls. John chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and the robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so the Pharisees, who were the leaders, they were supposed to be the shepherds. But they were false. They were ungodly. In the prior chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man who was blind from birth. His disciples come to him and they ask, Was it him who sinned or was it his parents? And Jesus says, Neither of those, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Yet the Pharisees confront him because he healed on the Sabbath. They had no spiritual sight. They could not see. And yet they were the ones that were supposed to shepherd the, the people of God. Jesus says in John chapter 9, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remains. 
They were supposed to be the under shepherds. They were supposed to lead the flock to Christ. Yet they had no sight themselves. They were the blind leading the blind and they claimed that they could see. And I think of the song Amazing Grace and, and how we sing that song, you know, that I was once lost but now I'm found. I was blind but now I can see. Because in the midst of the darkness, Christ reached in and grabbed us from wherever we were. We were blind. We couldn't see. We were in darkness. But Jesus, because of his great mercy, reached down to pull us out of that and gave us spiritual sight. To see the things that matter. Not the things of this world, but the things that are unseen. Those are the things that matter. And sometimes we get caught up in so many things in this world that we don't have time to sit before Jesus. And that's the message tonight as you hear it. How will you hear the voice of God? They claimed they could see, but they could not see Christ standing right in front of them. Not only were they on their way to hell, but they were hindering the people from entering the kingdom of heaven. Jesus speaking in Matthew 23, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. They heaped up burdens of the law, of the Mishnah upon them. Over 600 different laws they heaped upon their backs, yet they would keep none of these. Here were hypocrites, bound heavy burdens on men's shoulders, and would not lift a finger to help them. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Jesus told the multitudes to do as they tell you, listen, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. And those are the words of the true shepherd. Jesus will open the eyes of those who admit they are blind and give them spiritual sight. They claim they could see. They clung to their religion. They walked in darkness. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. and have the light of life. They would not follow him. And they were false. And Jesus is the true shepherd. Micah would write the prophetic word of Jesus coming. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon writes this lengthy note, but I was so impressed in my heart about it that I, I wrote it anyway. Christ's reign in his church is that of a shepherd king. He has supremacy. But it is the superiority of a wise and tender shepherd over his needy and loving flock. He commands and receives obedience, but it is the willing obedience of the well-cared-for sheep, rendered joyfully to their beloved shepherd, whose voice they know so well. He rules by the force of love and goodness. His reign is practical in his character. It is said he shall stand and shepherd. 
The great head of the church is actively engaged in providing for his people. He does not sit down upon the throne in an empty state or hold a scepter without wielding it in government. No, he stands and shepherds. He does everything expected of a shepherd. Listen, to guide, to watch, to preserve, to restore, to tend, as well as to feed. His reign is effectually powerful in its action. He shall shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Wherever Christ is, there is God. And whatever Christ does is the act of the Most High. It is a joyful truth to consider that he who stands today representing the interest of his people is very God a very God, to whom every knee shall bow. We are happy to belong to such a shepherd whose humanity communes with us and whose divinity protects us. Let us worship and bow down before him as the people of his pasture. Charles Spurgeon heard from God. Christ is the true shepherd. He is the door and only through him can we gain access to the Father. The Pharisees tried to make their own way. They tried to uh, come to him through the law, which they broke. They heaped up burdens, a complex system of oral laws. They believed that strict observance would prevent future punishment and exile that they experienced when they went to Babylon. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. The Lord is our shepherd. There is nothing we shall want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us by the still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. Verses 3 through 6. To him the doorkeeper opens. John chapter 10 again. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but did, they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And in the midst of this particular part of the scripture, it says, To him the doorkeeper opens. In towns, sheep from many flocks were kept for the night in a common sheepfold, overseen by one doorkeeper, who regulated which shepherds brought and took with sheep. The shepherd calls the sheep by name. The shepherd has a connection with the sheep. He leads them. He does not have to drive them. He gives loving care to the sheep. And the scripture says they are known of him. Paul writes in Galatians that we are known of God. He writes in 1 Corinthians as well, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. God knows you. There's intimacy in this relationship of the shepherd and his sheep. In Psalm 139, David writes, He knows you're rising up and setting down. He is acquainted with all your ways. 
For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! God loves you, and you are known of him. If you are his sheep, he knows you. And there's a relationship in the midst of that. For they know his voice. In the common sheepfolds of ancient times, the flocks could be mixed while they were grazing, and the shepherd merely gave a distinctive call, and you would see his whole flock come out. They knew his voice. And one of the commentaries that I looked at for this told a story of uh, some Turkish soldiers going into World War I trying to take a flock from the Jerusalem. And so during World War I, some Turkish soldiers tried to steal a flock of sheep from a hillside near Jerusalem. The shepherd who had been sleeping awoke to find his flock being driven off. He couldn't recapture them by force, so he called out to his flock with his distinctive call. The sheep listened and returned to their rightful owner. The soldiers couldn't stop the sheep from returning to their shepherd's voice. What a picture of Jesus. They knew his voice. And the sheep hear his voice. And that's what God has put on my heart tonight. That the sheep hear his voice. They know him. And they follow him. And I'm believing that if you're here on a Wednesday night, that you're probably one of his sheep. (laughs) Because there are many other places you could have been and to be here. But we're thankful that you are here to hear God's word. So my question for all of us tonight is, are we hearing Jesus' voice? Not do you go to church. Not are you praying. Not are you giving. Not are you doing works. But are you hearing the voice of Jesus? In your daily walk with him. Are we being led by him? Are we following him on a daily basis? Or are we just living according to the world? You see Jesus didn't die just to forgive our sins. That was the barrier. But the intent of God was to bring us into intimacy with him. To move sin out of the way and to bring you into his arms. And that he would walk with him all the rest of the days of your life. Jesus died to bring us into that relationship. Isaiah the prophet writes, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. The scripture again tonight reads, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Four times in the verses we're looking at tonight, Jesus declares that my sheep hear my voice. And the Greek word to hear is the word akuo. Akuo. 
And it means to perceive in the soul the inward communication of God. Another definition of Christ, whose voice is heard in the instruction of his messengers. And thirdly, to get by hearing from the mouth of the teacher. And this teacher is God. Are we hearing the voice of God? The psalmist writes, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. And so the promise from Jesus is that we will. And so what hinders us from hearing from God? It's God's desire that we would walk with him as he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? In Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, he, he says that. And like Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, that's God's desire that we would walk with him. And what an amazing epitaph for, for, for Enoch. Did he walk with God? What an amazing thing to have even on a tombstone. He walked with God. He walked with God. He heard his voice and he walked with him. After he begot Genesis chapter 5, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And listen, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. What can we learn by looking at the life of Enoch? A man that walked with God. And this is the heart of God. This is his desire that we would walk with him in that type of intimacy. The writer of Hebrews says of Enoch, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. You know, Rick and I and, and George and others were praying tonight and that, that we would please God. That the works that we walk through in our lives, that they would be pleasing unto Him. In your heart, that that would be the thing that you walk every day. That, Lord, I, I, I pray that I would please you this day. Whatever I'm, is facing me, whatever is coming my way, God, that I would please you in the midst of handling that, God. And so Enoch pleased God, and he was translated into heaven. He was raptured. Arpazzo, caught up. And many of us are, I believe that some of us sitting here tonight are going to be caught up. To be, they'll never experience death. They'll be caught up and be with Jesus forevermore. He's coming. And I pray that we would have an urgency, Lord, to be about his work. He pleased God. That our heart would be to please God. Enoch was a man of faith. How do we know? Well, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God, right? And so we hear that Enoch pleased God. You cannot walk with God or please God apart from faith. And, and so the Bible says we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what the scripture says. And so Enoch pleased God so he had to be a man of faith. And he believed God. He believed what God said and he walked with God and he 
walked in a way that was pleasing unto him. And the writer of Hebrews also writes, the Bible says we must believe that he is again and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And he is. And Enoch walked in the light. He walked with God. And so John writes that we can't have fellowship with God walking in darkness. You know, God's light. How can darkness have fellowship with light? In John 1, First uh, John 1, 5 through 7, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth, John writes. But Enoch had fellowship with God. Enoch was upright. He also walked in agreement with God. And Amos writes about those two things. How can two walk together if they do not agree? If you're going one way and God's going the other way, you're not walking together. I once heard a pastor say, you know, from 1 John, he said that if you say that you uh, abide in him, you also ought to walk like him. That's what the scripture says. And so if you're walking into a supermarket and, you know, Jesus is going right and you're going left for the beer, then you're not walking together, you're not abiding in him. You know, if you walk into a video shop, which there are very few anymore, and you... You're walking towards the porno section and Jesus is walking the other way. You're not walking with him. But Enoch walked with God. And Namus says, how can two walk together if they do not agree? John writes, if we say we abide in him, we also ought to walk like him. So in Enoch, what do we see? He was a man of faith. He believed God. He walked in the light. He was upright. And he walked in agreement with God, and so he heard God. And so in order to walk with God, we must hear from God. One of the hindrances to hearing from God is walking in known sin. Walking in known sin. Isaiah the prophet writes this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that you will not hear. David writes these words, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. When we're not hearing from God, the problem is not on God's side. God's hearing is fine. But we need to look at ourselves and our relationship with him. Maybe the sin has separated you from God. And sin will always separate us from God. Living in known sin. The New Testament. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And this is from the blind man that Jesus healed in John chapter 9. He said, what a remarkable thing that you call this man who healed me a sinner. Yet we know that God does not hear sinners. Yet Jesus healed him. Jesus was not a sinner. He said he did only what the Father showed him. He did only what he heard from his Father. Paul writes, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. And God can never become one with sin. And so living in known sin will break our connection with God. With fellowship has light, with darkness. And so what is the antidote to that? And that is to repent. That is to repent of that sin 
that may be in your life that's hindering you from hearing from God. What is repentance? And it's the Greek word metanoio. It means to change one's mind. What is repentance? Repentance is a godly sorrow that leads to a change in behavior. You know, we all have things in our lives that we sorrow over, right? We have regret over things. I think Frank Sinatra sang a song, something like that. Regret, I've had a... Maybe he didn't have regrets. But we have regret about things, but that's not repentance. That's sorrow. All people have sorrow. But true repentance, listen, leads to a change in behavior. A change of mind, a change of heart. You turn from the sin and agree with God, like Amos wrote, that this is wrong. You turn from the sin and agree with God. You bring the sin into the light and ask God for the grace to overcome it. And the Bible says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of the sin. He's given us the same power that rose Jesus from the dead within us. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. In Revelation it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You stop living in the sin that's known in your life. You want to hear from God. You need to turn from that. And 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes these things. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world, listen, produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you. In other words, it brought something about. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, in all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. A change of behavior. And so sin will stop us from hearing God's voice. Verse 7 then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so Jesus makes the declaration, I am the door of the sheep. He's now speaking of a different sheepfold rather than town. He's now he's out speaking of a sheepfold that's in the fields. And so the shepherd had to put the sheep down for, for the night, and so typically they would go to a place where they only had one way in and one way out. Maybe that was a little too loud. <laughs> So the shepherd would choose to keep the sheep for the night. It might be a cave. It might be some other structure with one entrance. And listen, in the field, the shepherd would lay his body across the entrance to keep the sheep in and the wolves out. And it's a picture of Jesus. He's the door. Jesus said, I am the door. You're entering by me, you'll be saved. Paul speaks a warning in Acts chapter 20. He says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, 
which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so Jesus is the protector of the flock. He's the true shepherd. Remember again, the night he was betrayed, he stood out front of them. If I am the one you're looking for, leave these go. He stood out front of the flock. He is the protector of the flock. He's the rear guard. He's the one that we run to. He's the banner of our lives. The scripture says he gives true life. He gives the abundant life, the zoe life. I had a life before I came to Christ. And sometimes I see some of the people I used to hang out with and they say to me, remember the good old days. And I say, there wasn't anything good about them, you know. Until I found Jesus or Jesus found me, there was no good about those days. I was living for for drugs and alcohol and every other thing that there was on this earth, you know, the the, the please the eyes and and the heart of man. And so he gives Zoe life. He gives life that's of the importance of things that aren't seen in his kingdom that's coming and of a king that's coming that will rule and reign forever. And the thief and the false shepherds, they take away life. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling, in other words, the hired one, flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so the hireling, the false shepherds, they were the ones that would abandon the sheep. You know, it was all about what they could get from the sheep. You know, they could get the good places. They could get the uh, rabbi, rabbi. They could get all the, the trappings that were in the religion. But Jesus is the good shepherd and he lays down his life for us. And so the good shepherd, he stands out front of the flock. He protects, he feeds. He leads the flock into the paths of righteousness, right? He leaves the 99 to get the one who was strayed. He rejoices over the lost one who's found. He gives life unto his sheep. He restores our souls. He pours his love, grace, and mercy, and wisdom into us. And he knows them. He knows us, and yet he was willing still to lay his life down for us. And Isaiah writes, He, Christ, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And that's the shepherd that we follow. No one could take Jesus' life. He laid it down freely. In verse 18 he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. And so the good shepherd gave his life for us. Verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so Jesus is saying in the midst of this that he's going to call others beside the house of Israel. He's going to call the Gentiles. He's going to call us. 
And now all over the world you're seeing Muslims coming to Jesus. You're seeing them appearing to them in visions. And, and in Israel you're seeing the, uh, the Orthodox Jew coming to Jesus, coming to Mashiach. There's a group called OneForIsrael.org and if you ever get a chance to go on and look at the site, OneForIsrael.org, you'll see the Orthodox Jews giving the witness of Jesus in their lives now. God is removing the blindness. God is opening eyes. God is saving those that we thought would never be saved. Mashiach. I was listening to the one man's witness and he said, I... They told me that, that they, the Christians hated us. They told me that the New Testament was about those that hated the Jews. He said, I began reading and I saw it was about Yeshua. And I saw that he was, a, he was from the tribe of Judah. And he came from Abraham, seed, and I knew that he was one of us. And all the things that were said of him all through the Tanakh came true in him. And so he's calling others. He's calling them all over this earth to himself. In Israel, in the midst of the Gaza, they're coming to Jesus. You don't hear it on the news. In the midst of Iraq, they're coming to Jesus. So when I go back and look at verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. He knows his sheep. Remember we looked at Psalm 139, he formed us, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we don't feel that way. But that's what God sees in us. You know, you were created in his image for his glory. You didn't come from some ape or some kind of uh, goop where things just evolved out of some kind of chaos but there is order in this creator and he created you in his image and Isaiah the prophet says he created you for his glory in Revelation it says he created you for his purposes God loves you he made you in his image he knew you before you were formed in a womb he knows you're rising up and setting down. He hasn't forgotten the trouble that you're in. But it also says that he's known by his sheep. And that is the word gnosko. To know by experience. As Adam knew Eve and they had a son. That's the intimacy that God wants us to have with him. That we would know him. You know, many of you know about me. I mean, you don't really know me. My wife knows me. <laughs> she spent much time with me. She knows all my faults. She knows the good. She spent 23 years of her life with me. Lord help her. <laughs> but she knows me. She knows my rising up and setting down. She knows everything about me. And still loves me. And this is the intimacy that God desires to have with you. Not just to save you, but to walk with you. Intimacy with God. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this. That he understands and knows me.
that he understands and knows me. Jesus said this intimacy is eternal life. He said this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is eternal life. It begins as we receive Christ and we ask Him to be our Lord and Savior. The intimacy that we would be able to walk with God, to know God, to hear His voice, and to walk along with Him like Enoch. And so the hearing of God's voice comes through intimacy with Him. Are you spending time with Him? Or has the world and the cares of this world choked your relationship with Abba? Abba. Abba is your father. Psalm 27.4 has been a verse that's always struck my heart. David said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. One thing I desire. That he would be in God's presence forever. That he would see the beauty of the Lord, his grace and his mercy and his love. His fellowship with him. To hear his voice and to respond to the living God. One thing David said. That's what I desire. He said, when you said, seek my face, Lord, your face I will seek. David said, I thirst for the living God. And so that's God's plan for a deep, intimate relationship with you, where we hear from him and we respond to what he's saying to us tonight. Where we walk with him like Enoch. We walk with him like David or Paul or Esther or John. If we perish, we perish and we walk with him. One of the greatest reasons we don't hear from God is that we're not spending time alone with him. David writes in the Psalms, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God promises in James, he says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. That if we seek him with all, my, all of our hearts, Jeremiah writes, that we will find him. And so how much time are we spending with the Lord? Maybe you have no desire. The cares of this world have overwhelmed you. The doings of this life. The mechanics of all of it. One thing is needed. And Jesus is saying to us, Martha, Martha, don't be distracted. Don't be worried and troubled about these things. One thing is needed, he's saying. Mary has chosen that one good thing. To sit at my feet and hear my voice. To be in fellowship with me. And so to fit, sit at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you have not been spending time alone with Jesus. Maybe so many things are going on in your life that you're not before him. As you look at your life that you would say, tonight we make appointments with all kinds of people. All day long we have structured things and that we have to get done. But I want to ask you tonight, sincerely in your heart, is there a place for Jesus each time in each day in your life? 
that you would move everything else but that. But that would remain. And that would be the place that you come before God and you're still before Him. And you're asking, God, I need to hear your voice. I come to fellowship with you. You know, my children, they ask me for different things. And as a father, you want to meet all their needs. But when they come to you and say, Dad, I just want to hang out with you. That's a vastly different thing. And that's God's desire. That you would just come to them. That you want to spend time alone with them and to hear them. And so if you haven't spent time with the Lord, repent of that. Turn from that. And God is saying, like he said to the church of Ephesus, return to your first love. As we close tonight, the hearing of God's voice comes through intimacy with him. There are no shortcuts. Jesus said that we would be one as he and the Father are one through his spirit that resides in us, John 17. Jesus praying in John 17, I and them and you and me that we that they may be made perfect or mature in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That is God's desire. That we would be one with him and that we would walk with him like Enoch. You see, God still desires to do great and mighty things. Jeremiah the prophet writes of those things. He desires to do that through you today. Tonight the days of your life. And so, will you stand with me as we close?